It's well documented that for black people, navigating this world is hard. 2020 has brought on a whole host of new challenges and shone a light on the prejudice and racism that people of color must deal with and overcome. But what is it like to be black, gay and kinky in this current climate? Today, we talk about some experiences and journeys into the scene, how we're viewed by other groups in society, as well as discuss the ongoing debate of preference versus sexual racism. Please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Recon Podcast, guys. Uh, this one um, is about being, about, well, I think it's going to be the first of a couple of episodes where we're going to talk about being a person of color on the scene. This episode is going to focus mostly on, well, if not all, of how it is to be a black man on the scene. I'm very, very pleased to have my sister in arms with me today, Antoine. Say hello hey, to the people. What's up, peeps? <laughs> that was the blackest sounding what's up, peeps, I've ever heard you say. That's a black booty, peeps. <laughs> okay, what's fine. Up, my peeps? Okay, what's up, my peeps? And we are joined by the lovely, this, she's coming from my keep gig. Going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm going to say. Pup Umber, aka Nate from our customer support Hi. team. Sandy 2.0. I know, right? <laughs> it's more like a 3.5 now, let's be honest. Wow. <laughs> There's been upgrades. <laughs> Amazing. I'm going to let you guys, um, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to be here. So, we're all here. We're all black. We're all going to talk about these things. It's going to be maybe a heavy one, an interesting one, but I want everyone to be open and um, honest, most importantly. Okay. Um, the first thing that I want to start off with is just saying that I think it's important that we set the tone a little bit and set the scene a little bit because often people of color have this kind of conversation with each other and with their white friends. Um, and it's often our... I suppose responsibility or duty to kind of educate, which is unfair in some ways. But the thing that I really want to set the tone with is we have to let white people know that to begin with, before we even step into the scene, we're dealing with prejudices and racism in our everyday lives. So walking into a place or a group where you want to be embraced and you feel like you identify with it's really sad to realize that you're actually going to be faced with those same prejudices and same, that same level of racism in that, exactly in that group that you so identify with Mm. and you want to be a part of, but also you have to remember that you walk in there with the baggage of the outside world. So these things are inextricably linked. You cannot, you know, separate them. This is what it is. And we're going to break down in this episode like what it is to be a black man in the scene right now. So let's start with all important question. How do you identify? How do you see yourself? Nate, how do you see yourself? Do you mean generally or in the first scene? So just in a very basic term, like, okay, I'll, I'll start a little bit. I would say I would describe myself as a black man who is British who is of Ghanaian descent. My parents are both from Ghana um, in West Africa. 
Um, that kind of thing, just so people can understand, like, because you know that question that you get is like, "Where are you from?" No, oh, but don't. where are you from? Yes. <laughs> Basically, we're trying to answer that question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, where are you from? <laughs> so, I guess I'd describe myself as authentically inauthentic Black British. I am a strong advocate for, like, I'm a proud Black man. Basically, I am a proud Black man, but. You ask me anything about where I come from. Like my parents are from Ghana. Do I know the language? No. And I think you've even had like, when you meet someone else, when you meet that other black person when you were younger, they're like, oh, you're from Ghana. And they start trying to talk the language to you. And you're like, I know none of it. Um, So there are parts of me where I'm just like, okay, I'm not the complete sort of stereotype of, or or the picture of a uh, authentic black man. But I think, with that comes uniqueness. So, you know, I think, yeah. Why do you, why do you question your authenticity? I don't think it's that I'm questioning it. I think it's more so I know there are parts that I probably should know about that I do not yet. Um, And whether I've taken the effort to do that is another thing entirely. Um, But I would say at the moment, there's probably stuff about my, my culture and my, in my history as a black man that I should know that I maybe do not know. Mm. Um, And with that, you know, that will come with experience, um, which I may not have yet. So, yeah. Was it something that your parents kind of spoke to you about? Like, because my parents never spoke to me because my parents are from um, the Ashanti region. Mm -hmm. So they never spoke tree to me at Mm -hmm. all. So I like picked up pieces of like listening to their conversations, but they they wouldn't speak to me like in that language. And the reason that they said to me is because they didn't want to spoil my accent. How fucked up is that? What? No, seriously. My parents said, oh, we don't. Because they came. I get that. Yeah. I get that. My parents came from Ghana and were in the 80s and for them having an accent was a hindrance so they didn't want their children to grow up in a world where they would have to fight for everything that they got if they had an accent that's part of the reason why i speak like this because they wanted me to speak quote unquote i suppose properly so so i did the only reason why i'm like hey god sister hey high fives <laughs> but like so they didn't speak to me about they spoke to me about culture stuff, references, but they wouldn't speak to me in the language. Yeah, no, the most we ever got with culture is food. Um, yeah. You know, we, we didn't really discuss the language. Both my parents speak two different Ghanaian languages, but um, they both understand each other anyway. So like, I wasn't even taught anything really about the language too much. So yeah, I, I kind of, I get where you're coming from with that. Like, it's just not something that was really talked about. And I, I don't know if it was, if it came from a place, a place of worry um, when it came to making sure that I didn't struggle in later life, but it just some, it wasn't something that was discussed. So, yeah. you know, it never really came up. So you're black British then. Do you identify with that label? Yes. Yes. hundred percent. How old are you, by the way? 21. Damn son. <laughs> I remember when. I remember. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Ooh, we- Ooh, that was wild. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Come to Antoine. Antoine, go for it. I guess in the very simplest of, terms, I would say that I identify as a gay black man, mm-hmm. the end. But I'm originally from the Bahamas, uh, which is, uh, if I want to get really technical, it's not Caribbean, but it's West Indian. So if I tell someone I'm from the West Indies, they're like, huh, what do you mean? Um, What's the difference? Well, the Caribbean is technically um, 
islands or countries that touch the Caribbean Sea, and the Bahamas is actually in, in the Atlantic Ocean. We don't ah, touch the Caribbean. Ah. So. I felt geography. However, <laughs> that region, the more you know, <laughs> that region is all West Indies. So okay. I am technically West Indian, and for I guess all intents and purposes, you know, the Bahamas is part of the whole Caribbean region thing. Ta -ta 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 -ta. So it kind of falls in there. Mm. Um, but I'm definitely uh, Bahamian. Um, and I grew up with my grandparents, and my grandparents did not like for us to speak necessarily with a very strong accent. It was like, we paid all that money for you to go to that school so you could actually learn to speak English properly. Yes. And growing up, you know, when you start interviewing for jobs, you would look in the newspaper and the advertisement would say that they were looking for someone who had good command of the English language. So you were definitely classed very differently depending on how you spoke. Mm. So now, you know, not living there for such a long time, when I go back, I find it even more difficult to speak in, as we would say, Bahamian dialect. Mm. It's a struggle rather than speaking the way that I think I would speak normally. Yeah. But I kind of do it because I think, you know, my mom, especially in other people, would be a lot more comfortable if I spoke more like them rather than how I speak to you, you know, you guys yeah. or other people yeah. every other day. Um, it was really, sorry, just to interrupt you. It was really yeah. interesting when we went to, where were we? Was it San Francisco or Chicago? And we met your two friends and you switched into the- like, San Francisco, yeah. Uh, and I was just sitting there just like, I knew what you were saying because I could just, I was picking up on like the feeling of what you were saying. Cause it, but I was really, <laughs> It kind of, it didn't shock me, but it did make me go, oh, Antoine, like that. Do you know what I mean? That moment of like, he's really switched into something else. And it was really, it was fun to watch though. Yeah, it's it's almost, you know, it's a, it's a, that other thing that comes with identity and something that I'm not sure it's necessarily unique to Bahamians, but, you know, they always say, why are you speaking like that? Do you think you're better than us? Mm -hmm. You know, so there for them, this commonality within the black community or within the black culture is really very important, especially when you think about having a, a sense of belonging to a group or belonging to a culture or fitting within a culture. So if you even adventure left or right different from the way that the mainstream culture works, they're like, mm, who, who do you think you are? Yeah. You know, like, wh why are you speaking this way? Um, you know, we have another really interesting saying, you know, talking about family and people. When you meet people, you know, they say, well, who are your people? Mm. And they want to know, like, how do you belong? Where yeah. do you come from? You know, we don't say, oh, it's, it's who are your people? This in, is in Ghana, it's who is your dad? <laughs> <laughs> because it, that's, that's like, or like, who is your mom? What's your family name? Mm. Like the family name holds so much power because often that's all you have. Like yeah. your name is the one thing that you have. So yeah, I can relate to that. It's one really important thing to me when I identif identify, you know, I'm now black British. I would be described, I guess, in UK terms as black British Caribbean. Right. Um, but there are definitely things to my being a Bahamian that I fully embrace. I'm really glad I have it. You know, there are very proud people and I think I'll always carry that with me. So, yeah. Um, so that's really cool, actually. I can relate to a lot of it, even though, so we've got West Indians, West Indian, we have two Ghanaians. There's a, there's a good spectrum of Africa, mm -hmm. Africa. Well, African Ooh. countries. Oh God, I was, was going to say <laughs> Africa's not a country, people. But like, what I'm trying to say is that we have at least two different kind of sides to 
blackness, I suppose, in this room ultimately. So um, the way that I've described myself, I agree with you, Antoine. I would put myself as a gay black British man. I think for me, whenever anyone asks me the question about like, where are you from? I say that I'm British. I'm a Londoner because I was born and bred in London and that my parents are from Ghana. That's how I say it. I say my parents are from Ghana. And for me, I really enjoy being from Ghana. Like I love that aspect of myself because I love all the Ghanaian mannerisms. I love the way that we speak. I love the way that we like celebrate and hold ourselves in such high regard. I love like how aspirational we want to be. Like I love everything about being Ghanaian. There's a part of me that really loves being British in a Ghanaian culture because I like being an out, I like generally being an outsider looking into something Mm. because you notice and can feel that connection even more so and you can appreciate it more so. Even the way that we insult is like different. So when when I was little, my mom used to say this and I'll teach you all. Which means your teeth, your teeth. This is the this is the deepness of the cut. Your teeth smells. Not even your breath. <laughs> not even your breath, right? No. The teeth, like the enamel in your teeth, it smells. <laughs> and she would say it to you like as a thing, like foolish boy, get away from me. No. But you know what I mean? Like those kind of things, like the way that they think so deeply is like, I'm gonna cut you so harsh to say that. Not not even something that you can control, your breath, your teeth. You can't control that, your breath, mm. your teeth smells. So anyway, so I really like that. So I would describe myself as black British um, gay man as well. The world has different lenses in which we are all viewed, right? So I'm going to take some of these lenses and we're going to talk about how the world views us under this lens. So the first one is as a black, so a black person is looking at you. What do they see? Bougie. (laughs) Do they? Is that the first word? (laughs) Bougie, that you're bougie. I think with me, I think black people are confused by me. Mm. I think and maybe this, and this is obviously a generalization, but I feel if a black man is looking at me, I'm batty boy. Oh, definitely. Completely. Like they see gay. Mm-hmm. They see gay before they see anything else. Mm-hmm. But I think if a black woman sees me, they're more likely to be like, you know, embrace me a little bit. I think it really depends on, on where you are. Yes. If I'm back in the Bahamas and a black man looks at me, absolutely, the first thing he's going to see is gay. And that to them is a threat to their masculinity. Masculinity. And that then becomes an issue. It then changes maybe into something else, which could be like, oh, he's gay, but, you know, he's, as they would say, he's funny, but he's okay. Mm-hmm. Which oh, means, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're... I'm an okay black person. Yeah, you're, it's like you're yeah. an okay gay. Yeah. And that could be down to the fact that, you know, I'm not necessarily flamboyant or crazy. So I don't necessarily fit what their stereotypical definition of gay means. Yes. So that means to them that I'm okay. So I'm kind of allowed in the circle a bit. The, I guess the first time I experience is like, oh, you're not like other black people. Yes. Oh, no. <clears throat> that sentence oh, is crazy. No. And that's the other strange one, which of course I also was never exposed to until, you know, my 
my twenties. We, I said it earlier about like, I have to think about what kind of black person you are. And yeah. that is literally for like oh, survival. I suppose mm. when I was younger, it was for survival, yeah. but I really find it interesting. Do you think that there's ever been, or have we, have you guys ever used the sentence? Um, what kind of black, what, no, sorry. Um, are you an okay white person? And should we start using that sentence? <laughs> Because it's 2020 and white people are crazy. White people don't like being called white people. No, they don't. But they also don't want to call us black people. They're like, can I, can I call you? I, I call, know, but it's like, black. they're the ones that invented these labels. <laughs> so use them anyway. But, but has anyone ever said like, are you an okay white person in their head? No. No, I don't think that's ever. I, I don't think I've ever said that. I think for me, it's very much the opposite where it's like, I, I will go to like a party or whatever. And because the majority of people there are white, I... I'm more so thinking, okay, are they looking at me almost like, ooh, okay, is he gonna go, is he gonna go to the dance floor? Is he gonna, is he gonna start screaming the party? Like, <laughs> you wanna start doing the dance floor? Yes. yes. <laughs> so it's almost like, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, am I, am I okay black person? Am I, am I hyping up a bit too much? Should I, should I, oh, should I tone it back a little bit? Oh, should I? Nay, the answer know. to that is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> You are always on a 10. Yeah, go off. I, I mean, yes. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> so what? So when black people see you, what do, what do you think that they see? I guess it depends the scenario. Um, if I'm out in a club, I think because of the way I am, and like you said, I'm always at a 10, I, I'm, I, I kind of blend in pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think they wouldn't look at me any differently. But I think if a black person saw me on the street, and I have to sort of split this up into two ways. If a black older person saw me on the street with my now dyed gray hair um, and then hears my voice or whatever, I think they will probably think like, that's a white man. That That's a that's not a black man. You know, the way mm. he's talking, the way he's holding himself, even, you know, what he's done. To, I've, I've had like black people come up to me and be like, why, why have you done that to your hair? And I'm just like, Oh wow, what well, black people have come up to you? They've come that. up to me and they've asked me like, why have I done that to my hair? And I'm like, I, I don't have an answer because I wanted to. I don't. I don't know what you want me to say. Um, and I think it's little things like you know, for them it's like almost ruining where you come from right. and tainting it almost. Speaking of, I've got another. I've got another story to interject with Ooh. with regards to older black people saying oh crazy things to mm. you. I was walking with maybe three white. Yeah, I think it was three of my white friends walking through Soho. And you know me, I'm talking loudly, we're talking and I'm like, ah! mm -hmm. and maybe just like did like a jump and like clicked to the, like, <laughs> you know, just being me. And this black man, he's probably around maybe 60. He said to me this sentence, which we all repeat to this day, respect your color. Oh, yep. I was like, did he? What? Just, yep. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> he said to me, check. he was like, as in check yourself. Yeah, check yourself. <laughs> I was like, huh, okay. I kind of, I know, yeah, because you're but just like- I know like, it. Yeah, it's, it's like, are you being, are you being the clown in the scenario? Are you being the one that everyone's looking at? Are you being the good black? Yeah. Are you being the good black? Are That's what it is. Black? Are you being the good black? And clearly jumping up and clicking in the air was not good for him. <laughs> no, so. you're not, you're not, as we always say, you're not representing. You're not representing, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You're acting the fool, you're not representing. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, this always comes down to the perception. You know, anywhere that you go, I think it's something we can't avoid. You walk in the door, you're out in the street, you're in a store, people are looking at you. And that is because of, I guess, 
historical behaviors yes. from when you think about like pack mentality. And so they expect when the black person walks in, it's like, oh, what's what, going to happen now? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. do I need to hold my purse? And then being black, you almost have to present yourself as like not a threat. You yes. have to do yes. something as like, yeah, that's oh, my friend, and they hear you talking like, oh, he sounds effeminate. Fuck it. He's not going to yeah. do anything, you know. But why should we have to do that? Because this is the world that we live in. There are structures in place, which mean like, well, well, I hope that that's what's coming across today. There are so many things that have infiltrated you, infiltrated to us by our parents, from their parents that, you know, it's passed down. That trauma is passed down to you to behave in a certain way, to be accepted in the wider society. So it's, you know, it's not... I don't want to say it's necessarily our fault. And it's not you. And I can't even blame... Those black people that basically were saying to me, like, oh, you're not black enough or whatever. I can't even blame them because it's just something that they've inherited from, Mm -hmm. you know, previous generations. And it's only actually now that we're having these kind of conversations that I can appreciate and think about and be like, you know what? I'm not going to hold it against you because Mm -hmm. you've been through your own stuff, which meant that you had to behave in the way that you've behaved as well. So it's passed down. It's generational. There's no denying it. Do you think it applies to to white people? Like you'll see someone walking down the street and you see, I don't know, you see a gang of... I even use, even using the term and then you cross the street. Do you think the same thing applies to them, you know, in terms of it's the way they were brought up versus being uneducated? Okay, so I think that that's a very good question. Because we all have the unconscious bias of like- Yes, mm. I think that, okay, when it comes to white people, I think I can understand why it's a struggle for them to understand privilege. Mm. I can understand that. And I can understand them feeling defensive about being called out for something that really, if you've just come into this world, like if a, if a 21 year old white person was standing, sitting next to you, they have had no part to play in the origination, the origination, that's not even a word. <laughs> origin. <laughs> the origin <laughs> of what this society is currently. Mm -hmm. So it's a really hard pill to swallow to be like, I am a benefiter, but I benefit from a beneficiary of something that happened ages ago, Mm -hmm. right? So I can understand that. What I don't understand when it comes to white people is the mentality of how can a whole group of people, a whole community of marginalized people be saying the same thing and you don't believe it to be true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like, I'm here to tell you, we don't have a newsletter. We don't have a private WhatsApp group to tell each other, hey, we're all going to agree that white people are doing this to us yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Like, so for me, that's that's the crazy mm-hmm. bit. And I think that's why it's important that we still have these conversations today. And like, we have, like, we, like you said, we almost have like different generations sitting here. Like, you know, we have... 40s, 30s, 20s. Mm. Oh, girl. <laughs> like, we've all Bitch. been through. I know, I hate her. Kill her. Shave her head. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We all have these different things that have led us to where we are today. Yeah, but it goes back to the same point. The appearance of not being seen as a threat. Mm. Yeah. And then it is the behavior on our part that makes it easier for them to accept us. So it's yeah. also about acceptance. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially, and I'm guessing this is in mainstream, also in the gay community. Um, oh, hugely. 
Um, when I first when I first moved to London in 2000, I remember somebody taking me to a bar that used to be near Charing Cross, and I thought this was really very interesting because this was a gay bar, which was quite segregated. You know, downstairs was definitely where the black guys went. Upstairs was the white guys near the bar. Downstairs would be the black guys and the white guys who liked black guys. Upstairs in front of the bar was just white guys. Sorry. Off to the side was Asians and the white guys who liked Asians. And if you were black and you moved to a different part, oh my God. I t- can tell you to this day, not a word of lie. I have been asked several times in this bar, why are you in this section? Why, <gasps> why are you not downstairs? Stop. This is in London, people. The guy. Not kidding. Okay, wait, let's move on. Let's move on. No, 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 no. This is great. Because the thing is, what I'm trying to also, we are how many minutes into I this podcast? And also, we haven't even touched on fetish yet. Let me just illustrate, like, to, to white people listening, there is all this stuff that we have to contend with even before we even get to you. Mm-hmm. So let's get to- <laughs> Stand in line, bitch. I'm telling you. Let's get to gay culture. How do you feel like, okay, in gay culture, where we are now, so we're in London, obviously, give me three words as to how you think your- perceived by gay culture. And I suppose the elephant in the room that we're not really saying is, I suppose it's white gay culture. Cause as much as, as much as we try to maybe escape from it, I feel like, and this is my opinion, that sometimes gay culture is seen as white. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say white gay culture. So a white gay looks at you. What, are the, what do you think they see? Shall I go first? Go for it. I'll go first. They see black, mm. and this is, I'm doing it in order. Black, different, as in from what they regard black to be, and cute. Okay. That's what I would say. What about you, Nate? Um, I think black is the first thing. It's always mm-hmm. going to be the first thing. I think the second one for me is actually challenger. I think- Challenger? Yeah. I, I, I honestly think because you you go to any club and- other than people who kind of just, you know, don't care and they're there, I think there's always, there's always going to be eyes on you to be like, what what are you going to do and how can I one-up you in terms of being that bitch, you know, being that one as everyone's looking at and everyone wants. So I think when they see a black person come up, they're like, oh, okay, okay all right, let's see, what, let's see what he can do. Let's see what, he, what he's about, I, at least in my experience. I guess the third word... I guess flamboyant, honestly. Really? I think it, I think it comes, it, it almost comes like tied to if you're black, you're expected to be. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't, I don't think they see any, any different. I'll okay. be honest, you know. What about you, Antoine? I mean, I walk in the door, there's no hiding that I'm black. Mm. Well, my perception would be, and this is maybe also based a little bit on experience, you know, this like, okay, you're black. And then it's like, okay, what kind of black are you? Mm. And its other thing is attainable. Oh. They want it. I want huh. it. It's 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 very often I can feel, you know, you walk into a room and you can feel the eyes looking and it's like, okay, <laughs> you are something to be had. Oh, you feel like an object. Oh, completely. I can agree with that. This is totally my experience, you know, mm. and even at some point it's at least a handful of people. I've never had a black guy before. Well, I mean, yes. I, obviously, I've had that. They look and they suss you out. And I can tell, you can just 
it's readable on people's faces. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you walk in and you can see them thinking, I want to have some of that. Yeah. So clearly this has been a very long conversation so far. Yes. We're now going to touch on fetish because <laughs> the lens finally. is now, finally, you came here for fetish content and you're now getting it. And you got my life story. <laughs> but I think it's important to set the tone because it's important to, yeah. to make people understand where everyone is coming from. So often, being into fetish or being a kinky person is a second coming out for people. When you walk into this next minority of a minority, a niche within a niche, because, you know, being gay could be considered a being, I suppose, being niche. But then within that, there is being a fetish gay, let's say. What do you think is the perception from fetish people? See, I will say in this, in this, in this circle, I'm, just, I'm an object. Magnified. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I'm an object. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like there's an aspect because I work for recon that I feel like a bit of an object as well. But I'll just say that. I think even before, yeah. you're definitely objectif- objectified, being black, completely fetishized. You know, I often wonder, and I've asked myself the question, when I walk into, you know, like going into my first fetish club, do they see me first as a black guy to be had? Or am I first just recognized as any other kingster who walks in the door? No. It's the no. first thing that they're going to, you know. Sorry, babes, but yeah. no, you're not. <laughs> I don't think I, you I, are. I, I, yeah. I think that often as well, if I, I- But is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends what you want, isn't it? Because you have people who- First of all, all I want is to get at the bar and have a gin tonic. Amen. Amen. Everything else comes after that. Amen. But like you have people that are into that. They're into wanting to be attainable and being able to shoot people down and be like, this isn't like, oh yeah, you can't have this. But I think fetish leaves, unfortunately leaves leeway for things like fetishizing black people. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that although, you know, there are, you will find a black person that, is probably or any race that's into say race play but then i think because it's you know used as a fetish and they're like oh it's just something i'm into and everything they then apply that to everyone that is into fetish and everything and everything and so they think it's acceptable to turn around and be like oh well you know i only go for black guys and i only want bbc and everything i'm just like Okay, this is this ain't it. This this ain't it for me. It's not you know. There's probably someone out there for you. It's not the vast majority. As soon as you say in my inbox, I'm looking for a black dot top dot. I, I nope. block you now. Nope. Yeah. Not even interested. Yeah. Not even interested. So, what do you think uh, fetish gays see when they see you, or think? I think it's very much what Antoine's already said. They see someone who's attainable. Um, is they, it different because you're a pop as well? By the way. Um. Yes and no. I think I, I'm i sort of semi on the scene. I'm on Twitter uh, and I'm active. I'm relatively active there, but I do I, am I involved in any packs? No. Mm. Am I involved in the community too much? Not not really anymore because I spent the, la- the, the last maybe year and a half kind of discovering what I wanted to do as a pup and what I wanted to explore as a pup. But then as I came into my own, I kind of realized I don't really need to do anything with anyone. I don't need to put myself out there to be had as a pup. Mm. Um, I can do what I want. And if someone is interested, then we'll see how it goes. Um, But I think it can be very hard to differentiate 
being like being attainable as a pup and being attainable as a black person. Yeah. Because chances are, because my my username is pup umber, I'm being messaged for the pup thing. But if they can kill two birds with one stone, they're like, well, okay, let's just go mm. for it. Um, and I still do get pe- uh, messages from people who are you know into just black guys, and I I I just kindly ignore them because I'm like I, I'm not I'm not interested in being looked at like an object. I'm not interested in in being that thing that you can tell your friends you had be like oh I had a black guy and it was amazing yeah. and you know it's just it's not desirable for me it's it's not anything I'm interested in you know I've had I've had an American guy that I went to he's on recon so hey um but he, you know he asked me he's like oh can I call you the n-word and I'm <gasps> like you did not you know like yeah. it's just it's that thing of the they want they they want you but not in the way that's that's um what's the word like it's not endearing. It's mm. not. It's not something I'm. I'm interested in. And it's almost like they don't know how to approach the topic of complimenting a black person yeah. without talking about their race. You know. Um, but yeah, it's just. I yeah. think some of that is maybe like you and I know for people who travel and we're very visible on the scene. It's almost you know there's that unspoken pressure, and we probably get this down to the way we look and the way that we carry ourselves when we're out. You and I both know we will never, ever go into some event and some venue and to be half-stepping. No. We are representing- All the time. All the time. Yeah, exactly. So- I have to look a 10 even when I feel like, <laughs> even when I look like a four, feel like a four, sorry. Yeah, can we on a podcast then? <laughs> How dare you? I'm a 10 today. Ooh, 11. You know, and and that, in, that in itself carries, you know, because you walk in and of course the first recognition is you're black mm. and- you don't look like every other black, whatever that means to the people who are in a club or a venue, because we don't. And I think it's also the need or the desire to, on our part as well, to think that we may have to go the extra mile to look the part so that we can fit in and be accepted by the the others or by the white people. But also to lead the way for other black people to gain entry into the culture. Absolutely. I feel that. I feel like I have to be so like something so that not only other black people feel like they can be a part of it, but also to demonstrate to white people on the scene that, you know, this is what you're missing out on in a sense by not allowing it to be so accessible to other races. I think for me, there's a, there's a, there's a two thing here. There's a, it's, it's a dichotomy of, I feel both objectified and not seen. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time. At the same time. Completely. Mm -hmm. And it's a really weird dichotomy to kind of be in. That's what I said. There's that unspoken language, you know. I remember so vividly, you know, my first trip to Berlin going out as a Kingster, you know, with my other white friends standing out in front of Prinzknecht. You know, it's there are hundreds of people. Yeah. And I felt absolutely invisible, not seen. But at the same time, you know, you can look around and the more you look around and you might catch the someone's eye and they're taking these very awkward side glances. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the, who is that? The, who's the mystery person? Yeah. You know, who's the mystery black guy over there that we don't know? Is it something to be had yes. or where did he come? You know, and I understand, you know, there's the, the objectification, there's the intrigue. Yes. Um, there's a whole combination of other things, but as a black man, 
you will feel them. Yeah. yeah. And I think very often white people don't realize don't that realize we stand that. there and we feel it. We can feel it all. Well, I mean, the fact that they can come up to you and be like, I really like your skin. Oh my God. Or something oh, like that. That's please. outrageous to me. Sis, but- go moisturize. No <laughs> way. Like, I'll give you my routine. Cocoa butter. I know oh, I don't use cocoa butter anymore. I, I use don't. a bio oil. Stop using it as well. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, look. I think the point of this first bit, as long as it has been, was to demonstrate the trauma and things that make up being a black man that you have to go through and experience. And then having to go through these different worlds, essentially, of, you know, where you're where you're coming from and other black people who are different to you. Like not every black person is the same and therefore they're going to react to you differently. And then walking through and discovering that you're gay and going into a culture where maybe they don't really accept you either for mm. whatever reason. And then the added layer of being a kinky guy and there's a whole messy objectification, which is all about what fetish is about. It's about, you know, objectification in a sense. It's about needing a thing to get off. Yeah. And that comes with a whole heap of complicated sexual things, which we'll discuss a bit more after this break. Regulation is one of Europe's premier kink destinations for fetish wear, restraints, toys, electro, playroom furniture and pup gear. Explore their online store today. A destination for serious anal enthusiasts. Now, during lockdown, I did buy some toys and started playing with myself. Um, Would you describe yourself as an anal enthusiast, Antoine? Only if I had to say that I miss rimming a lovely little hoop. (laughs) Well... They stock over 800 ass toys, including dildos, butt plugs, and anal vibrators in a full range of materials and shapes, no matter what your experience. So Antoine, get on it. For the first time, Regulation now offers the entire range of square peg toys. Imported from the USA, these ass toys are made from 100% platinum grade silicone and are molded in a huge variety of ergonomic shapes, each with its own specialty. I'm not sure which you guys have got, but I've got an amazing dragon-shaped one at home. Hmm. Maybe you're looking for a super comfortable butt plug or maybe a challenging toy. And oh, we God. know how you bottoms love a challenge. We, I know so many uh, people that love a challenging toy. Mm, <laughs> these will stretch you gently with a twist of the wrist. So check out the full range of square peg toys at regulation.co.uk forward slash recon. Remember to add the recon so they know that we sent you there. That's regulation.co.uk forward slash recon. They ship worldwide and offer free UK shipping over £25. So boys, open your holes and get stuff in. Download Recon today and start your fetish journey. Make connections with like-minded kinky people in your area and all over the world. Leather, rubber, sports gear, pups, BDSM, bondage, whatever it is, we've got you covered. Go to recon.com forward slash app and find your fetish. Have you got a question for the host? We want to hear from you. In the next episode, myself, O'Billy, Scully and Antoine will answer your burning questions, look back over the podcast so far, as well as reminisce and reveal some crazy, ridiculous fetish stories. You don't want to miss it. Email your question over to podcast at recon.com. Okay, welcome back. So we're going to launch into... More about fetish culture and the recon point of view, I guess, on all of this, because um, if you haven't guessed already, guys, all three of us work for recon in some capacity. Oh, shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait, and all three of us are black. Oh, oh. my God. Can, the th- can those two things coexist? I'm literally <laughs> waiting for all of you who've emailed customer service to be like, 
I was talking to a black guy. <laughs> so, um, Nate, you obviously work in customer support. Yes. Um, I, me and Antoine work in the brand team. So you'll probably see us at events. We're behind the content, all that kind of stuff. So we have people of color in quite customer facing roles, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to dealing with different types of people, we've seen it and done it all. We <laughs> we have, you know, Antoine and I travel quite a bit for work, obviously. Well, not now, Corona. But when we did, you know, we would come across all different types of people um, of all races, all ages, all sizes. So I feel like we've got a good steer on let's say the temperature of people on this subject. And I'm just gonna launch straight into when uh, George Floyd was murdered um, and another, shall we say dating app, dating app, hookup app, whatever, another mm-hmm. app in our gay landscape decided to take it as an opportunity to remove the ethnicity filter from their app. Now, it was more the way that they did it. They they announced, they did the statement, which basically was like, we stand with George Floyd and his family, but, and as a consequence, we're going to remove the ethnicity filter because Black Lives Matter. So I woke up to the news of this. And for me, I didn't like the way that it was propositioned as in, hey, we've taken this thing off. Racism is solved. We support Black Lives Matter, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you've taken a tool away for racists to use inappropriately, but you've not solved the problem of racism on your platform. Yeah. As a consequence, like, because we live in a world where social media exists and people have the power to go on a keyboard or go on a phone and broadcast their opinion, mm-hmm. I got a lot and Recon as a consequence got a lot of um, emails, yep. ads, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever you want to call it, messages saying, what were we going to do about the situation? Were we going to remove our ethnicity filter? Very strong opinions, I will say. Like kinky people love you, but we're very strong willed and very strong opinionated people, which then kind of forced our hand to kind of figure out, well, it's something that we've been talking about for years about what do we feel about it? How do we navigate this situation? I remember when I first joined and I realized there was an ethnicity filter. I remember having a conversation being like, I don't really feel comfortable with this and yada, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Antoine, you've been here for 14 years. You you must have seen many things in that sort of realm. But there have been many discussions about it. So many. And obviously, Nate, on that day, you must have received a lot of customer emails about what we were going to do as well. Mm -hmm. So what I decided was to bring together a lot of people in our company to discuss the issue at hand. So we brought the whole brand team in, we brought customer support in, we brought our MD in as well. I think the first and foremost, we looked at it from a marginalized community point of view what is that filter being used for in what scenarios can it be used maybe in a good way um in a useful way in a helpful way because that's what a tool is supposed to be it's supposed to yeah. be helpful useful in some way and i always use this example with the brand team with my team especially like and they probably laugh at me but whoever lives in buttfuck idaho where maybe <laughs> there's no scene at all how do they reach out to people to find people that look like them and this is the most important thing that looks like them there are things that you cannot learn about being a kinkster from someone of a different race. For example, a really simple one is impact play. 
you know, white people tend to bruise or they'll go red or whatever the case may be. Black people, we don't do that. You have to feel the heat to know whether you can continue mm -hmm. hitting them or whatever the case may be. So it's really important for just even as a safety precaution that you have that access to find other black people, to find other Asian people, to find whatever. And also from a comfort point of view, we've all spoken about trauma today, right? And how, you know, in spaces where maybe there's predominantly white people, how it'd be nice to have another black person, yeah. whatever the case may be. So we decided not to remove the ethnicity filter at that moment, I will say. We came up with a plan as to how we were going to approach the whole subject because I wanted to hear from, I'm, to be honest, I'm going to be really blunt. I wasn't really interested in what white people had to say about the ethnicity filter, to be honest. If you're white and you feel uncomfortable with the ethnicity filter, maybe don't use it. If you're a person of color, I want to hear what they had to say about the ethnicity filter because it affects them. Because mm. if white people are using it to basically find and fetishize and objectify people of color, it's them that are on the receiving end of this. So I wanted to understand what it is that they use it for. So we decided that we we're gonna do a survey. It took us, a, I will admit, it took us a while to kind of get the survey right and to figure out what we wanted to say and ask and get it sent out. But we've sent it, we had so many, we had about over 5,000 people do that survey. And it's taking a while for the numbers to be crunched and all that data to be processed. So. We will update you as to how that's going for sure. But the statement I put out that we all wrote to get like, well, I will say we all thought about it. The response was unified. I wrote it, but it was based off of what we discussed. And the response that we got after that statement for me was shocking. Agreed. Agreed. If I'm being really Beyond honest shocking. with you, it was really shocking. Mm -hmm. That was the first time that I realized that white people don't like to be called white people. I was called racist, which then really made me realize like, wow, white people don't understand what racism is. Yeah. And there's so much white fragility that it's, it's disarming. It's, it's, it's alarming. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and still to this day, I don't think I've really fully been able to process my feelings around, not even the statement, George Floyd's murder. Like, and seeing all the content on Instagram, on Twitter, because it was everywhere. And and I will say it was everywhere because it's kind of quiet down now, mm -hmm. but, you know, we still haven't got equality now to this day. So, yeah. you know, people, as I like to call them, white saviors were flying the flag for a period of time when it suited them. But now it's like, where are you now? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I actually agree, especially because even the emails we got, a lot of them were, basically calling like, oh, Recon is such a, a white run company. And I'm just thinking, they they know who works here. They've seen <laughs> these people on the scene. They've seen yeah. my black ass around for years. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Who are you referring black to exactly? Yeah. You know, our director is white, but he was very much like a, a he was very much a, on our side with the whole matter. So I, I don't know what, but I, think, but I think it's also because people just don't take the time to actually do their research. They just jump on a thing and that's it. I think what made it more shocking, probably for you and me, especially um, as the faces, you know, the people around who see us, we travel so much to see those same people, a number of those same people, people we know really well reacting so negatively towards it and towards the brand, which was also towards us. Yes. Um, and it just made me think like, okay, I don't know you as well as I thought I did yes. know you. And I don't think we can be friends if this is how you are perceiving this 
really terrible and important issue of race. Yeah. In the time that we're in right now, this is your response. Mm, block. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like for you, Nate? Because obviously you you were on the front line with dealing with these customer support issues. Yeah. And I know that we had lots of conversations about it. So you tell me, tell the people. Um. Well, I mean, the, the amount of people that I actually emailed in afterwards, the majority of them were were white and mm-hmm. they were talking on behalf of, of, of black people. They were talking about black people and it just radiated ignorance, like a lot of it. And there were a lot of people who were, you know, who were in support and they understood and it made sense. And it, to this day, those decisions still make sense because as a white person, you do not know or can really talk on what a person of color uses the filter for. And that's something that's, you know, that's true to a lot of black people. And we've had people, uh, black people who've emailed and saying, you know, oh my God, you know what? Thank you for actually keeping it there because that's how I find people yeah. near me. That's how I find people across the, you know, country that are like me and into things that I, I'm into. But you have like this, this torrential wave of like white people who... I, I just call them keyboard words and I just roll my eyes thinking about it of like people who think they know best and they haven't done their research. And it came through in little ways of like, like I said, calling Recon, you know, a white run company. Anyone knows that they can go to our website and they can find out who works here. And they've met Sandy and they've met Antoine and you can find out that customer service at the moment is run by two people of color. Yeah. You know, it's not run by white people. But at the end of the day, we made a decision as a company to stand alongside the Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyd movement. And we're taking it from, not only as like a a personal perspective for for us as black people in the company, but as a business perspective from the fact that we don't want to necessarily aid sort of just racism and racial views in general. We don't want to be a byproduct to, to, to this wider issue. Because at the end of the day, for me, it was also like taking the ethnicity filter, like I said, doesn't solve the issue at, 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 at its core. It takes a tool away from racist people, yes, but it also then harms marginalized communities that may use that. And I think it's a really dangerous thing to then begin to build your platform around people that don't know how to act right. Does that make sense? Yes. And the people that were writing in on behalf of other black people, I think that this is the really important thing, right? Let's just put one thing in there first. Go on. A lot of these people were, well, I'm not racist. I have black friends. Yes. No. No. (laughs) Yeah. And that we have to, we have to put that into context in itself. It was that group of people. Writing on behalf of the other people. Yes. They're writing on behalf of... My black friend doesn't say this so, you know, clearly yeah. it applies to everyone. <sighs> but this is the, this, that's the point that I'm trying to, that we're all trying to make here, that like, you know, just because your black friend, Leon, says this doesn't mean that it's true for... Leon. I know I went there. <laughs> I went there. Sue me. I can say that because oh, I'm black. My black friend Demonte, he didn't say no. Nah. <laughs> I don't know a Demonte, but... Um, I know, I know why, Leon. Oh my God. Anyway, no, sorry, I digress. What's really important there is that you're, what you're saying is just because you have one black reference that it applies to a whole entire group of people. Already, I feel like, like we've just spoken about, the fetish community for black people can be scary. It can be a place of objectification. It can be a really horrible place for them. 
Recon is probably, and I'm not, and here we're not going to, def- I'm not going to defend Recon. I know that there are massive problems with Recon that could be made safer for people of color yes. to navigate their fetish journey. Absolutely. However, I'm not about to take something away that to make it worse. Yes. Yeah. There yeah. are people who feel already within the scene marginalized mm. and you don't want to take something away that's going to push them even, even further, further. Mm-hmm. this would be detrimental yeah not just for the brand but also for those people you know a part of the thing that we always talk about is this sense of community and bringing people together and allowing people in we talked earlier about you know acceptance and people feeling in and it's also about other people letting them in and i think if we don't allow people who are feeling somewhat marginalized to find people they can identify with, we're leaving them out. We're not including them in our wonderful King community. Look, there are all sorts of black people that I'm not like Antoine and I have discussed this a lot about like race play and skinhead culture and all these type of things that have complicated racial tones, I suppose. I'm not into that but someone else might be into that. And is it my job to police that? Maybe not. If it's consensual, I don't know. I have an opinion about it. I don't want race play with, to be, I don't want any race play anywhere near me. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to engage with it. That's not something that turns me on. But I want to understand you as a black person, why you might do that. Yeah. And do we, we have to make a decision as a business as to whether we allow that to be on our platform. Yeah, I think the thing that we want people to do is to think about their own behavior. Yes. Um, And I think it's very often the thing that gets skewed. I think a lot of it is also about consent. Yes, yeah. I think if you're gonna approach someone, I'll talk specifically about race play. If you're Mm -hmm. gonna approach someone about this, I think it would probably make sense to get a feel for your audience. (laughs) You know, understand. (laughs) Get a feel for your audience. audience. Understand, (laughs) at least chat to the person, you know, and feel them out a little bit. Your opening line shouldn't be. Your first message shouldn't be, you know, and- (laughs) Hey, Edward, what's up? (laughs) And you guys know that I save and I screenshot a lot of messages and things that people send, you know, and, I will never, one, I will never forget, you know, the first message from this guy was, I want you to be my nigga bitch slave. And I was like, sorry. I I just, I kept the message open and I I kept reading it because at first I thought, I can't believe that someone would just send this to me off a whim without any previous kind of contact, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's nothing in my profile, I don't think that looks or sounds that like I would, you would be invite that. like I would invite this kind of conversation, but that person felt that it was okay for them to approach me in this manner. And I'm thinking, but why would you think that that's okay? Yeah. Yeah. But that was kind of the feeling that I got on a lot of our customer support complaints sometimes. And I think what was very clear to me back off the, off the back of the statement was that there is a lot of education that is needed on sexual racism. So people need to understand what it is. I had to do a lot of research after we did the statement because I was helping with the education of our company members, employees about what it is so people could understand. For me, sexual racism is about the objectification and fetishization of a marginalized community or as an individual because you are one trait of something that someone really likes yeah that that rule applies to you and every other black person mm-hmm. so i can tell you now for sure 
Nate, I've heard some stories about what you're into. I'm not into that. And that does not apply to me. Antoine, same to you. I don't know what the fuck you do in your bedroom. I don't, you go, you told me. (laughs) (laughs) I want you told me too. I don't want none of that. But you know what I mean? And the fact that like, you should be approaching each of us and as individuals, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I'm trying, that I'm trying to get across with this whole idea of sexual, not idea, this reality that is sexual racism. Uh, anyway, sorry, I've gone on too. No, yeah, I, 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 think, I think the moment you are writing off an entire race or you're only into an entire, because of a feature, a yeah. physical feature, then you need to take a, a, a hard look at yourself because I think that's where I draw, for me personally, that's where I draw the line. If you say I'm only into black guys because they have huge dicks, I'm like, no. Yeah. Like, but then if you also say I'm not into I don't know, South Asian guys for whatever reason, and you're writing off an entire race because of one feature that maybe one person had, you need to take a a hard look at yourself. That's why I say too, when you walk in the door and people see you, what is the first impression that they get? Are you on some kind of tick list, you know, that Mm -hmm. they have? And it's, it's interesting, you know, very often you get messages from people and, and very quickly I can tell, Okay, they're they're on a tick list, mm. and I don't want to be in anyone's tick list. Block. It's, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. yeah, it's dehumanizing, and I think the problem in the fetish community is that we often utilize these things like to dehumanize someone, to humiliate someone, to objectify someone. In a we sexually pervert it, so it, it's it's difficult for them to realize the difference i suppose yeah. but it's about consent mm-hmm. if i give you my consent to humiliate me that's different than you just humiliating me or dehumanizing me because of your own like perceptions yeah, yeah. of what i am yeah the other thing is this we had a lot of people saying about preference and it's like it's a it's an urge right go and watch Sex Explained by narrated by Janelle Monet on Netflix about the first two episodes cover this so well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I took away from it is our urges and desires, we can't help. Yeah. We can't help. And they come from a whole host of different things. They yeah. come from mostly, I will say, our sexual desires and urges come from media and pornography. Pornography has got a lot to, the whole porn yeah, industry has got lot. so much to be, they have to be held more responsible for sexual racism, yes. but that's another story. However, our thoughts and behaviors can be controlled and altered. So just because you have something within your loins that you want to express and really love and attain. And that's, oh, that's that feeling of, oh, you can't help yourself. Bitch, you can control your thoughts. Yeah. You can, and you can control your mouth from opening (laughs) to say some crazy shit to me. It's like when you always said, tell people, you know, you want to talk to me, that's fine, but you need to come correct. Yes. If you don't approach me right, I'm not having it. Yeah. From the time that people think that I'm Antoine, it still happens today. Uh, I'm like, we couldn't look any less alike. <laughs> you, you got people, people thinking that you're Antoine. Go, hey, Sandy. You, I'm like, no, it's the other black one. There are right? people who have messaged me thinking that I'm you. And I'm no. Like, hey, me too. Stop. Crazy. Yeah. So I want to move on a little bit. Sorry, we kind of ranted a little bit. Sorry. I, do, I just needed to get that off my spirit, but it's <laughs> gone. But there is one other thing that's on my spirit a little bit. Within 
the fetish community, just the fetish community, mm-hmm. I feel like there's not been a massive uptake of the Black Lives Matter movement or even talking about it or supporting it. And maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like if there is anyone in the fetish scene that's doing it, it's mostly black people. I'm going to put the question out and you tell me, do you think that black lives matter to the scene? I think it matters a lot. And one of the things I think is really great, you know, from when I first started doing this job and going to events, people would always come and go, oh my God, it's so good to see a black man. You know, and one of the places I think we got that too. San Francisco was like, oh my God, it's so good to see black people here. Yeah. And, you know, and then when the we went question, to LA, actually, I remember in yeah, LA. When in we LA as well. well. And I think because black faces don't seem to be so common within the fetish scene. Mm. So we're already coming in as a bit of an unknown. And maybe this is historical. It's changing a lot now and it's a lot more open than it was before, but we still have a long, long, long way to go. Um, And I remember people saying, you know, well, why don't you use, you only put out one ad. This is when I first joined, maybe like 14 years ago. You only had one thing out, you know, with a black guy on it. And this was the beginning of the recognition that we needed to change and that we had the ability to do more and we should do more. Mm. And yes, I'll admit the journey has been long, people, and the struggle has been real. But we have definitely taken it up. And I think between you and I being so visible, Mm. I think we matter a lot because we also become that icon for the other black guy or the other person of color who may be a complete newbie. Do Mm. you feel like there are, do you feel like white people in the scene are doing the heavy lifting as well? I I, I won't say that they are and they aren't. And I think the one thing that frustrates me is that they want to be handheld through the process Mm. they they want to be told what they can say what they can't say how to support and it just kind of almost rings as fake so in terms of yes we need a lot more white people than they currently are uh being ambassadors and standing up and saying like hey you know what we do support black people and black lives matter but with that comes their own research and their own efforts to show that they are supporters. It can't necessarily always come through the fact that we have to, we have to do the legwork. Mm-hmm. We're doing the legwork by standing up and saying, hey, this isn't okay. You know, and the fact that, like you said, that isn't proof enough for them to say, huh, maybe this isn't how it should be. And they're waiting for us to to get to a point where we're frustrated and we think, you know what, okay, you know, fuck this. We're, we're going to, uh, we have to put out a statement or we have to remove a, a, a race filter. They're waiting for us to act before they do anything. So, I mean, I won't say that they're doing necessarily heavy lifting. I still think that minorities are doing the majority of the work. Mm. I think there are more people who probably would be supportive um, but we can't get away from the fact that ignorance is not bliss. You know, I've spoken to people before who say, you know, well, I'd love to know, but I just don't know. I don't know the terminology. I don't know what to, what, what to mm-hmm. say. And mm-hmm. the world has at the moment gone a little bit PC crazy. Yeah. And there are many people who are genuinely afraid to offend. I can yes. understand that. And yes. I would much prefer having that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know that very often we can't escape it. We have to do the educating. Yeah. At that, when the opportunity comes, you should take it. Yeah. And just let people know, look, you know, it's fine. And, you know, thank you for 
wanting to support me. And yeah. maybe, you know, this is what you should say. This is what you should do. And, you know, yes, point them in the direction where they can educate themselves yeah. a little bit more. People should definitely take it up mm. and do the research. But we know a lot of shit is out there on the net. Yeah. So sometimes it's going to take talking that one-on-one yeah. with your black yeah. friend. I mean, that's what I was just about to say. That's when you should be tapping up your yeah. black friend. That's like hitting your... <laughs> yeah. And what's, what's really but interesting is... But even then, it's going to be different. Well, what's really interesting is I've had a number... A, a, a handful of messages like this also from people who message me, you know, directly um, saying, you know, I really don't know. I don't understand. Can we talk about this? Da, da, da. Yes, I am happy yeah. to educate your ass and let's talk. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you ask, if you offend somebody else, they're going to cut your head off. Hello. <laughs> and that's the thing that I always kind of preface the conversation with. I say, be open. Yeah. I might say something that you're, that you're, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. If you don't, know the right thing to say or if you say something wrong i'm gonna correct you but it's fine i'm not gonna judge you for it it's not you and trying we can to have offend. i'm not trying to catch you out yeah i'm not trying to point the finger because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you've come to me to ask me questions so let's talk yeah once you've had the conversation it's about what you do after that conversation mm-hmm. and no one is telling you to go out and be the crusader <laughs> and do all the things mm-hmm. but there are things that you could probably do to alter your life and your lifestyle and enhance the life and lifestyle of a person of color. My job means that I have the power to hire black models, to um, invite and feature people of color on our platform. So I take that as a, that's my responsibility. That's what I'm going to do. You know, with the issue with the boys club, for example, there was a, it was a great thing for me before this even kind of occurred. I just was like, I just want to see black and Asian men in gear doing their thing by themselves with no white people around, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. It's, and by doing that, giving an opportunity for people of color to kind of flourish and shine is all we're talking about Mm -hmm. because For me, this is what it comes down to. And maybe this is a really simplistic view of this. So forgive me if you feel this way. But I feel like when it comes to inequality, we're talking about it in a very political sense. And for me, being equal shouldn't be political. It shouldn't be about politics. Of course. It's about humanity. And it's about ensuring that everyone has equal opportunity to flourish and shine, right? And the only way that we can even begin to have a conversation is about having empathy. And it means from both sides. Like like I said, I honestly, I can't blame some ignorant white person for the way that they've been brought up. <laughs> yes. But I can blame them for not taking- For feigning ignorance. Well, yeah, exactly. I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm going to say to them, look, if you don't pick up a book and read, or not even put a, look at me, look how old I sound. That sounds like something my dad read. Lena book. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't, if, if you don't, you know, click on that link, see, mm-hmm. down with the kids. <laughs> Listen to Go this on. podcast. Yeah. Come on, yes. <laughs> no, in all honesty, like if you don't, pick up the necessary references and tools to really educate yourself and figure out how can I make a change within my own life? And that's not just posting on social media, Mm -hmm. it's genuinely treating people of color in real life with respect and dignity that they deserve. And that is what it is, empathy at its very basic level. Inequality 
equality is not a political issue. It's a humanitarian issue for me. Mm -hmm. It's empathy and humanity. It's one of the things I stand by. And it's, I'm guessing even in my messaging to people, I will take that opportunity to point out someone's you woke up this morning and you didn't have your humanity tea before you sent me that message. <laughs> and you should go back humanity. and have that cup of humanity tea and then try messaging me again. Right. And sometimes we need to point that out to people. It's really very simple. I think the thing that the web and social media platforms has allowed people to do is to circumvent that. Mm. They can delete this because you will never walk up to someone in a bar mm. and say something you might think is okay to say to someone behind a platform, yeah. behind the web, you get smacked in the face. And you have no idea what that person is going through. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have no idea what that person has been through yep. you know, to get to that point, to then receive your fucking message about <laughs> <laughs> some foolishness. Telling me about you like, you divorce your wife for a black man and you think mm -hmm. black men rule the world. And literally like, that is the last thing I want to hear when these I'm are the trying to get through my day. Mm -hmm. you know, but it's, you know, and it's sometimes just remembering the really simple thing. When you message someone or when you, you know, click on that link to a person's profile, there is a person on the other end of yep, it. And you preach. should never yep. forget that. And that person's got a heart. They have some feeling. You know, even though, you know, people says, we can't isn't here to be political or to be woke or anything else. We're here to get our sex on. You can get your sex on, but it doesn't mean that you have to be a monster. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Get your sex on and still be a human. I really hope that this conversation has demonstrated how complex it is to navigate our lives. Mm -hmm. And I hope that it's given you an insight and appreciation for how we, the fact that black people are still standing today is amazing mm. to be honest, to me, honestly. Yeah. And I really hope that from this, you take away and think about your actions moving forward. It's not necessarily that you need to go out and wave a banner outside your house. You can make really small changes and be respectful to your people of color in your life. Yeah. yeah. And I will say this, this is not going to be the only conversation with people of color that we're going to have on this podcast. I really want to get the point of view of an Asian man. And when I say an Asian man, there are so many different <laughs> like ethnicities within the Asian culture that I really want to unpack. Like Japanese people are different to Chinese people who are different to Filipino people. And I want to really unpack that as well. So we're going to try and do a couple of these where we sit down with different ethnicities to kind of navigate their lives as well. And we will ask the difficult questions and we will have the difficult conversations. And I think it would be, I mean... I'm not necessarily looking through rose-tinted spectacles here, but it would be really great if people just kept an open mind about having the discussion in the first place. You know, I think even for us who are people of color, it's understanding the different challenges by different people who are from within, you know, the black and indigenous representations across the whole spectrum. Yeah. It's Everyone has a different challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, black people have a challenge. The Asian people have a challenge. The South Asian people have a challenge. The mixed race people have a challenge. Oh, Whatever girl, that might yes, mean for them. That's for a whole sure. other kettle of fish yeah. we haven't even delved you know, into. Tapped on yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, as we will probably say again and again, this is where your humanity and your empathy, please turn those switches on. Hello. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Nate. 
AKA Pup Umber for joining us. Where can the people find you? Sandy 3.5. Oh, Ooh. shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm going to change my this Twitter handle for coming for my gig. Ooh, Go on. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Pup Umber. Uh, same name on Recon, Pup Umber. Or if you want to uh, find my personal Twitter, uh, Kaiser underscore on Twitter, K-A-I-Z-U-R-E underscore. You can find uh, a resource I created in terms of if you are unsure how to get started on your your journey to understand what it's like to be a black person in these in this current political climate and humanitarian climate and resources for you to to brush up on your knowledge um but yeah and i just want to add thank you anton as well for doing this with me it's always lovely hosting with you um i want to just remind people that if you've got any thoughts questions issues and concerns <laughs> about what we've discussed today in this podcast please 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 email us podcast at recon.com i'm fascinated to know what you thought about today's talk um and also just to you know we want feedback about what we've talked spoken about but also to see and hear what you would like to how you would like to add to the conversation as well would be great mm-hmm. um Final thought, and then we're going to go home because it's dark outside, (laughs) is open mind, open hole. Yes, I I agree. From a customer service standpoint, white people, keep your... Keep an open (laughs) mind. Keep an open mind. I'm not... I'm going to go for both. Keep an open mind. Um, You know, when we talk about privilege, we're not just referring to class privilege. There are things like if you can get up, if you can log on to Recon and not worry about if someone is messaging you just because you're black, there's a form of privilege there and it's just important to be aware of that. And black people, if you haven't already made your voices heard, you know, through our survey that we had previously, make sure you do stand up if you can and make sure you are heard because that's the only way that we can move forward uh, and, you know, ensure that we make recon and just everywhere in general, a safer place for uh, all people of color on the, on the platform. So yeah. I feel like I want to end on a Negro speech, spiritual vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so on that, <laughs> bye-bye everyone. Thank bye. you so much. Bye. bye.